Welcome to the Paranormal News Insider for the week of October 11th, 2022, and officially episode number 531, and this is your host, Dr. Brian D. Parsons, and we are live on the Paranormal King radio network at paranormalking.com, and uh, welcome everyone in chat and otherwise, if you're listening to this recorded uh, just a word of warning tonight. I'm uh, kind of sort of somewhat paying attention to the uh, American League Division Series between Cleveland and New York. So if I inadvertently yell out an expletive or four, it's probably because uh, when Judge comes around, he'll probably hit a home run again. He struck out looking in his first at bat. Uh, but yeah, baseball season is uh, winding down. It's October. The boys of summer are now enjoying the fall. And we're down to the uh, eight teams. And, of course, then after that, then we'll watch the Browns lose here in Cleveland, the Cleveland area. But uh, it's exciting. I love baseball. It's the, the biggest sport for me. I don't care too much about football. I know it's hard to say that growing up in the shadow of Cleveland, Ohio, uh, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I was when I was a kid, but kind of grew out of it once they left for Baltimore in the 90s. And it's been all football or all baseball since. Uh, granted, we're lucky. We've got a lot of teams around here. The Akron Arrows are about 20, man, about 20, 25 minutes away. Then the uh, Lake County Captains are also about 20, 25 minutes the, the other direction. That's the double A and uh, short. Well, I guess they're they're not short season. They're the regular single A team. And then, of course, our triple uh, A team is about two hours south in the state capital of Columbus. So I'm pretty lucky to live in a state uh, where all the well, most of except for one that's down in Virginia. All the minor league teams are here. So I, I don't know. I like minor league games better than major league games. But anyway, you didn't come here for the baseball report. You came here for the paranormal news, and that's what I'm going to bring you for this week. And we're kind of, you know, looking at the stories, I kind of thought tonight is almost like an entertainment episode. There's a lot of uh, neat and, and uh, interesting things. Are we uh, going to actually have a book of the week this week? Yes, it's back, and it's very fitting because it's a book that actually comes out. Today, I haven't read it, um, didn't preview it, but I've uh, kind of did a little studying on it. We'll explain a little bit more about that as we get closer. And uh, we'll talk some movies towards the end of the show as well. But first, we're going to kick it off with cryptozoology, as we do each and every week here on the show. And uh, so I live, again, northeast Ohio. Uh, I don't know about uh, less than well, probably 20, uh, 24, 25 minutes from, from Cleveland and uh, probably 20 from Akron yeah, probably a little closer to the uh, Akron area than Cleveland. Uh, but where I'm at, it's about a little over an hour away from the Pennsylvania state line. And I'll tell you, I probably spent more time at uh, conventions 
and public speaking, eh, maybe not more, eh, a lot of time. Let's just put it to you that way. Uh, in Pennsylvania, speaking at a lot of events, there's a lot of absolutely awesome researchers and investigators out in the Pennsylvania area that I've learned a lot of stuff from over the years and I've spoken uh, from the Albatwitch Festival uh, all the way to the Kecksburg UFO Festival and a lot of places in between. Uh, of course, the PA Bigfoot Camping Adventure, twice, absolute favorite of all time. Um, and of course, all these researchers are looking at uh Bigfoot, for the most part. Granted, there's uh, tons of strange sightings of all sorts of things, from glowing orbs to uh, ghosts. Uh, a lot of history in Pennsylvania, obviously, uh, to uh, to Bigfoot. And it seems as though now there's a little bit of a Bigfoot problem going on in Pennsylvania. And uh, not just the events out there uh, in Pennsylvania, uh, but I've also hiked a lot in Pennsylvania. I've gone uh, a couple of years ago. I was kayaking in the Allegheny Reservoir, camped out overnight, which was a lot of fun camping, uh, you know, going up on shore in your kayak and spending the nights. Pretty fun. Uh, lots of years hiking in the Allegheny National Forest and other areas of Pennsylvania. Personally, you're looking more for signs of large cats than anything. But of course, Bigfoot's there. Uh, according to a ton of witnesses, I should say tons of witnesses. And again, I've spent a lot of time speaking at those events. So I've, I've heard a lot of these stories, firsthand witnesses, firsthand accounts of, of stories, people seeing Bigfoot being very close to them. Um, of course, researchers like uh, Eric Altman and Stan Gordon, uh, I've heard a lot of their stories, a lot of their accounts from those firsthand witnesses. It's pretty intense uh, sightings that uh, not all were made public, that were pretty uh, pretty astounding. Uh, so there seems to be a little bit of a Bigfoot problem in the Keystone State. And of course, uh, you know, living here in Ohio, Ohio is supposed to be one of the uh, top states, but I hear a lot more coming out of PA than here. So now, uh, despite all these uh, researchers and investigators creeping around in the woods, uh, it seems like the creatures might have the upper hand. Signs warning residents of sightings of the large hairy creature have been placed in numerous state parks and along trails for several months now in Pennsylvania. The signs are warning people to be cautious of their surroundings and to report sightings directly to a ranger and not to post the sightings on social media. And of course, the sign has a header from the Pennsylvania Department of Conservation and Natural Resources, along with their logo. So it has to be legit, right? Uh, not quite. Not exactly. Uh, Pennsylvania's game official state these signs have been appearing for months, and despite the official look to them, they're not posted by anyone related to the state. And I've seen a couple pictures. Uh, well, actually, they've got one picture here looking at. Uh, it's in a a little uh, protective sheet stapled to a tree. Uh, yeah, it's a state property. You can't just post whatever you want. And, of course, uh, it's pretty much a hoax. 
Uh, these things have uh, been around for years. These types of warning posters, uh, especially online, they've been floating around for quite a long time. But they physically have been posted in numerous state parks uh, from the West Coast to the East Coast to down south, uh, pretty much everywhere. I couldn't even count the number of states I've, I've done stories on where I've heard reports of these posters appearing. Uh, in 2016, the Pine Barrens Institute, which is a website geared toward Wisconsin cryptozoology, posted a Sasquatch warning poster giving instructions of what to do if you encounter a Sasquatch. Uh, that was eventually copied and shared around social media and uh, eventually appearing again in states and um, I think a few national parks as well. And of course, it was changed, it was altered to be used in various states uh, because there was um, kind of an explanation as to why the Sasquatch was coming into the area. And of course, these new ones are a little bit, uh, I don't want to say a ripoff, but uh, uh, very similar to the ones that were started back in 2016 and went very viral uh, via Facebook. We didn't have TikTok back then, but yeah, Facebook, I don't think we did, do we? No. Uh, of course, and anything on Facebook, people are going to copy and share uh, all over the place. And, um, yeah, you know, got to take it with a grain of salt. But uh, obviously the state has come forward and said that, uh, obviously, we did not put these here. Bigfoot's not real, which has created a, a whole different argument from people saying, well, they're being dismissive. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's real. Maybe Bigfoot is real, and they're just uh, not wanting to admit it. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll uh, keep an eye on that, see if it's any copycats, which I'm sure is going to happen again. Uh, will I have a top 20 this year? Well, gosh, I don't know. At the rate it's going, we haven't had that big breakthrough story. I've been hoping to have that one big story, that big splash, the, the one that gets nationwide attention. You know, something like people storming Area 51, for example, something along those lines. We've not seen something big this year, uh, but uh, looking back, uh, there are quite a few stories. Um, I don't do a 20. I usually do a 10, but it'd be a stretch to do 20 this year, uh, especially top stories. But um, we'll have a top 10 definitely this year and hope there's a few stories that are still hopefully going to take shape that will... Um, potentially launch themselves into a, a top 10 status for the year. But uh, we got fingers crossed if those will actually happen, if they'll get off the ground, if you know what I mean. And uh, one other thing here. Um, I have an event next week. I didn't talk about that. Um, eh. Not really excited about it. It's just kind of weird. Kind of got pushed into the corner to talk about wizards. I'm not a big wizard researcher or investigator, but it's kind of fun to look at something that's a little bit different, out of the ordinary, 
I'm going to be uh, talking about wizards and ghosts. Draw a correlation between those two things. It's uh, pretty difficult, not impossible, and hopefully I'll make it interesting. Uh, they've got a uh, wizards and wands theme going on down at the Westerville Public Library in Westerville, Ohio, which is northeast of Columbus, Ohio, the state capital, which I talked about before. It's about 15 minutes away from the stadium, the baseball stadium. They're done for the year. Uh, but I've been going there for, good grief, 14, 15 years, something like that. I've been doing it a long time and uh, spoken on all sorts of topics. But this will be a first of anything I've ever done for uh, the Wizards and Wands. No, it's actually a 14th, now that I'm thinking about it, 14th consecutive year at the library and 15th appearance overall. I went twice one year. I talked about UFOs in the uh, spring. And then, of course, I generally go down there in the fall to talk about spooky, scary stuff. Um, it's fun. It's interesting to talk about something different. I, I don't know. I just don't feel it this year. Uh, it's not as exciting. It kind of feels like when I did it uh, virtually. It wasn't that exciting. I love to be there, but uh, I love to talk about things I have a passion for more so than um, you know, something that uh, I have to appeal to the theme of the week. Or actually, it's like three weeks down there. But it's kind of cool. they got a giant dragon that's sitting on top of their building, which is pretty neat to see. And yeah, you could pretty much call wizards, uh, I mean, magicians, uh, metallurgists. I mean, there's all sorts of different types of names you can call um i mean anything anything dealing with uh, predictions uh anything dealing with uh anything psi related so people who are psychic or have any kind of pre precognitive abilities or uh, even psychokinesis ability to uh, manipulate their environment uh, but generally, people who uh, back in the day would look out for the king or warn them about certain things, reading tea leaves and, and those types of things, uh, reading the weather. Uh, you can even look at the Mayans. The Mayans had uh, the priests, and the priests were viewed pretty much as wizards. You know, They would tell them when to pr uh, plant the crops, uh, if rain was going to be heavy or whatever. Uh, but nowadays, we don't really have that. Science pretty much runs everything. Uh, but you have people running around looking for strange things in the dark. And pretty much people who investigate ghosts could be considered the modern-day wizards. So we'll talk about that on Monday night if you're in the Westerville area at the Westerville Public Library on – wait, is that Monday? It's the 19th. What is the 19th? Oh, it's Wednesday. Oh, I thought it was Monday. Oh, I got a couple extra days. Yeah, Wednesday, the 19th. Very cool. Anyway, back to cryptozoology and back to Bigfoot. And, uh, you know, it's again, I mentioned we have a, a book of the week. And it's been a long time, I think. It's been a few months, probably. I haven't had many this year. 
since we've had a, a book of the week here on the show. And generally, I only do a book of the week that's uh, something that I've read or can truly speak to being a valuable piece of information for those who want to learn about a topic uh, related to the paranormal, either directly or indirectly, if it's on science or researching or, or anything, problem solving or science, whatever. Uh, but I've made a few uh, exceptions over the years about uh, people who have written books that I, I feel like those books are, are going to be impactful especially ones that are new. And uh, we got one tonight that actually debuted today that I think is going to be a, a really valuable book for, for young people, for the youth. You know, as you get older, you kind of, you kind of want to pass on your, your knowledge and your, um, your skills to the youth, you know, that's why people have kids. They want to pass on their genetics. They want to pass on their beliefs. They want to pass on uh, everything. They want to uh, pass on the genes and the family name, things like that. Me, I just want to pass on uh, my stuff that uh, I've learned through the paranormal. And this is a, a great book, I think. Uh, geared towards children, it's pretty much, they say it's geared toward preteens, but it says uh, 8 to 13, really 8 to 12 and 9 to 13, which I don't see what the difference is. So uh, kind of the preteen genre, although I've read a few pages, and I think really pretty much anybody could get into this book. I don't think it has to be particularly preteen. I, I, I enjoyed what I read of it. And uh, it's currently, even though it just was released today, uh, it's the number one book in children's social science books on Amazon. And the book is titled The Search for Sasquatch and is authored by Laura Krantz, who has been hosting a popular podcast titled Wild Thing, uh, where in the first season she looked at how Sasquatch tied a lot of questions to human evolution, conspiracy theories, and how humans connect to the natural world. And admittedly, I, I think I've heard of it, uh, but I never listened to it. It came out back in uh, 2018, uh, so I uh, got a hold of a few episodes, listened to a few. Um, it's pretty good. It's a lot of good information, and it, there's a lot of uh, thought-provoking things that happen. Uh, so knowing that it's uh, tightly related to this podcast. I think this book is, is going to be a, a valuable piece of information for, for young people. Uh, and if the name of the author sounds familiar, Laura Krantz, well, it should. Because Laura Krantz, uh, her grandfather, or I should say her grandfather's cousin, was a professor of anthropology at Washington State University and was, was convinced that Bigfoot was a flesh and blood creature, uh, which is not something you see too often. Very rarely do you see people who are actually scientists going out and talking about believing in Bigfoot or actually going out and researching Bigfoot. There's a very short list of actual scientists who have published books and published research topics that uh, are believers in this creature. Um, so his, uh, his name, of course, was Grover, 
Krantz. And Grover Krantz was a cryptozoologist and a scientist. And he traveled to Europe, Asia, and points in between in search of answers about Bigfoot and other strange and unproven creatures. Uh, Laura discovered her connection to Grover, uh, unfortunately, uh, in 2006, which was four years after he had passed away due to uh, complications of cancer. Uh, she was working for NPR, the National Public Radio, if you're not familiar with NPR, uh, and began her podcasting career in 2018. And uh, that first, I think it was like 10 episodes, they, she talked about various aspects of, uh, of Bigfoot, kind of launched it off with talking about Grover and kind of weaved her way through a lot of the belief and some of the science and some of the misperceptions uh, of Bigfoot or Sasquatch. And the, uh, but like I said, the book really kind of continues that on. And I'm interested to see if she's going to continue writing books uh, because in 2020, she took uh, 2019, there was no uh, podcast issue. So I guess she took it off that year. But 2020, the Wild Thing podcast explored alien life. And then uh, nothing in 2021, but came back this year and has moved into discussing nuclear power, which is a weird shift. But, uh, you know, talking about past, present and future use of nuclear power is pretty cool. Uh, the book Search, the Search for Sasquatch takes a more scientific look at Sasquatch and focuses kind of on that gray area between myth and science. And also, according to the book description, this probably puts it in better perspective. Uh, it says, quote, Krantz takes readers on a strange, surreal, and surprising hunt for the fabled Sasquatch, showing us how to challenge our gut assumptions and open our minds to new possibilities, to think critically, and to use the scientific method along the way. The search for Sasquatch asks readers to evaluate the evidence it presents and make up their own minds, all while considering why Bigfoot might be important, even if we don't find him, unquote. Uh, and I like that uh, because that was my kind of focus when I wrote my book on cryptozoology, the handbook for the amateur cryptozoologist. I didn't want to write it in a dismissive way and say that these creatures are not real because of X, Y, and Z, or they are real because so many people see them. Uh, it's easy to convince people that these things are real because people who believe in these things are definitely going to buy those books. Uh, and the people who don't believe in these are definitely going to buy a book where a hardcore skeptic completely dismisses everything and throws people under the bus along the way. Uh, but it's really, really hard to write a book that's in between, especially when you have um, kind of a stake in that field. And obviously for Laura, having a podcast and having a, a family member involved in that field. Granted, he was, uh, uh, Grover was pretty, ah, for the most part, I mean, he did fall for quite a few hoaxes, but uh, for the most part, it was pretty grounded. Uh, but it's, it's hard not to get, you know, swept up in the whole um, drama and uh, the excitement of potentially finding something. Yes, Cleveland scored. Um, 
but again, it's um, it's a very balanced book. It's really hard to write something like that to to stay, uh, you know, from tipping the boat over and keeping both oars in the water at the same time. It's really not as easy as you might think uh, to write a very well balanced book. But listening to her podcast, uh, I was impressed, and um, that book has made my growing list of books that uh, i'd like to get um, my poor amazon list I, I think it's over like in the 80s now but that one's going to be uh it's going to be high up there i think it's, it's a pretty interesting one there's a couple a couple of bigfoot books that have come out in uh, the last few years geared towards the younger crowd and i think it's uh it's great to uh, provide a young mind with a book that's going to challenge them not to believe in one thing, but to believe in things or make up their own minds, you know, think for themselves and evaluate the world around them, especially using science as a guide. It's very important uh, because it seems like myth and folklore have become more powerful than science, especially for young minds. You know, we watch all these movies on TV and uh, at the theaters about people with magical powers and super abilities and things like that. It gets people... Uh, away from reality, which is great, um, but we have to come back to reality when we're thinking about things, and it's uh, very important that we have an anchor, that we stay f- kind of focused on these things. Um, the book, again, was available for pre-order, but today is the official release date of The Search for Sasquatch by Laura Krantz, and uh, while it might be viewed I guess you could view it as a skeptical book uh, by adults. I think it's, uh, it's again, it's excellent for young minds to look at that. Um, and, you know, I'm thinking about it today, too, about this book and talking about it. Uh, let's face it. I'm not getting any, any younger. Uh, I've seen plenty of people in the uh, just in the Bigfoot field or the uh, cryptid field where I'm getting older. And I've seen... Uh, unfortunately, uh, quite a few people pass away. I've seen a lot of people retire. I see a lot of people who are uh, no longer physically able to get out into the field. And the same, I would say, with the UFO field. That's really getting old. Uh, I should say people are getting older in that field. and not really seeing the replacements, people coming in behind us and filling in those gaps. You know, you have a few big names of people uh, that are probably in their 40s. Uh, but uh, it seems like there's a lot more gray-haired people in uh, cryptozoology and ufology than uh, young and spry people with uh, new ideas. Uh, but, you, you know, you look at the ghost field, and it's it's never-ending. Uh, all the young people getting involved, and the older people just seem like they just disappear because all the young people take over. And granted, uh, I don't know how, how old... Uh, our buddy is out there in uh, Vegas, Zach. He's probably getting up there now. Probably in his, he's got to be in his 40s, I think. Uh, but uh, yeah, the ghost field looks like it's it's perpetuating youth. Like every uh, every time you turn around, there's new groups, younger people. But unfortunately, you're not seeing that in the UFO encrypted fields. Um, so this is a, a welcomed thing. And I can tell you from experience, again, at speaking at uh, paranormal conferences, conventions. There's a lot of young people 
uh, that are influenced by their parents, it seems like, but uh, they're interested in cryptozoology as well. So it's hopeful that, uh, you know, they follow in their footsteps, that these, some of these people get involved in it in their, in their 40s or 50s or whatever, and, you know, their kids are right there. And they're like, wow, Dad, you, maybe you're, you're not, you're not uh, uncool as everyone thinks you are. Even though you listen to Guns N' Roses and weird stuff that nobody cares about anymore and wear these clothes that uh, are, have been out of style since 1985. Um, now, I'm an old guy. I can say that. I'm almost 50, so I'm not making fun of older people by saying that they can't get out and investigate. But uh, when you get up there, when you gain a lot of weight, I can speak on that one, gaining like 30-some-odd pounds since COVID. Uh, it's a lot harder to go hiking. It's a lot harder to get out there. Uh, I can't do the things I used to do, you know, even I'm still, I, I kind of feel young. I don't feel old yet, but uh, yeah, it catches up with you when you get a little older. Uh, you can't get out there as much. Uh, things hurt a lot longer. Uh, the cold affects you a lot quicker. Um, and you don't take those chances that you used to, I think, that you did when you were younger. But uh, yeah, nothing against older people. But uh yeah, and it's hard too to get uh, it's hard to get like-minded people together. I tell you, that's why I ended up uh, getting rid of my paranormal group. Everyone wanted to do their own thing, and I just felt like uh, you know having a banner and trying to keep everybody underneath that banner was pretty much impossible. So I had to do what I had to do, turn everyone loose, and everyone went their separate ways and did their own things. And it's really hard to find anybody that uh, thinks the way you think out there for any of these things, but. Uh, there's plenty of groups, but again, you know, I've been involved in a lot of these groups, and they are, they're getting older. They're all getting older. And uh, it just seems like, um, man, no matter what you do, it's really hard to inject the youth into it. They don't stick with it very long, but, you know, that's the same way as when I first got involved in the paranormal. I was in my 20s, and I saw a lot of people get all excited and run out and buy that black t-shirt and... Uh, get their acronym going on their websites, and then they were gone six months, a year. Uh, so it's it's hard to stick. It's hard to stick around for a long period of time for uh, anybody. But uh, books like this, you know, books are permanent, and uh, hopefully this does a, a good job to complement the uh, podcast. And um, well, I don't know. I think it's a, it's a good move. And you don't see too many UFO books for kids. I don't. I don't see any. Uh, tons of ghost stuff for kids, but uh, like I said, man, it's perpetuated perpetuate youth coming into the uh, that field. Speaking of UFOs, we're going to get into the UFO news. For this week, and yes, there is some UFO news. It's been kind of quiet in the skies lately, and it's kind of creepy because we've been always hearing something, especially from the government side, nonstop. But it seems like it's just it's just gotten quiet all of a sudden. And uh, however. Uh, this is, I guess it's not new news, but it's something that uh, just was released uh, about Roswell. 
course, Roswell is a household name. It's uh, well-known around the world in uh, New Mexico. You might be surprised to learn. I know I was, but I guess it made sense as soon as I thought about it. Uh, Roswell is actually the fifth largest city in New Mexico. Small state. Uh, despite this, the population of a mere 48,422, uh, that according to um, Wikipedia, uh, it's, uh, it swells. It actually swelled over twice the size. Well, almost twice the size. Uh, Roswell is driven by tourism, of course, about uh, dem aliens, people coming out there wanting to uh, look at all these things set up there. McDonald's is pretty cool. It's got a big spaceship on there, and the Dunkin' Donuts has an alien on it, on the sign. Uh, pretty neat stuff. And, of course, if you've been paying attention to the show, I haven't really talked too much about paranormal conferences and conventions this year as I have in the past. But uh, from June 30th to July 3rd, they added uh, over 40,000 people. So they almost doubled the population as the uh, city finally brought back their annual UFO festival, which had been uh, sidelined due to uh, COVID. And it's a big deal. It's a pretty big event. Uh, the But this year was even more special due to the fact it was the 75th anniversary of the 1947 Roswell incident, which incidentally didn't really even happen at Roswell. It happened 75 miles away, closer to, uh, was it Corona, New Mexico? So, ah, you guys were asleep at the wheel. They could have had their own event. But um, Roswell, household name, I mean, uh, synonymous with Superman and aliens and all sorts of stuff. Um, the event itself had a net cost of $212,638. And that's a lot of money for the city to, to shell out. But they know they're going to get some, uh, they usually get some pretty good uh, turnouts. So of course, they're going to make some money with it. Uh, but with a higher than normal number of visitors, Roswell has reported that the event had a $2.19 million direct economic impact for the city. And that's using conservative estimates on spending by visitors. A um, little bit of shadiness. I mean, of course, all these events use um, volunteers. And they saved quite a bit of money on having volunteers. And you think that if they scored $2 million, it probably could have paid some people. But, uh, you know, it's good for the city uh, to generate some income, to uh, make some improvements. And, again, it's it's basically tourist-driven to some of the, uh, the hot spots, uh, the little, um, I don't want to call them road stops. There's a few different little museums geared toward um, geared toward um, aliens and the Roswell incident and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, it's one of the more popular UFO events. There's um, 
I'll tell you the one that really impresses me is the Kecksburg uh, UFO conference, and it's geared towards the uh, uh, the um, what do they call it, the City Days or whatever. But it's it's their big time to celebrate. They just kind of combine it with the UFO event, but then they get people from everywhere. That little place, it's a little town. It's basically uh, there's one flashing light, and there's a handful of houses. And that place just gets absolutely packed with people uh, every single year. And, of course, yes, the Mothman Festival, probably the biggest uh, cryptid one I've seen or at least I've been at. It's it's the whole town is full of people. There's people speaking in different buildings all over the place. Uh, it's always a big deal down, uh, down in uh, it's West Virginia. So, yeah, it's close to Ohio. You can see Ohio. That's all I care about. We claim the sightings, but uh, I don't think they really uh, sell out the festival. It's it's pretty similar to the uh, Mothman Festival, which kind of spread out around the town. Uh, there is a couple of centers where a lot of stuff is set up, uh, but for the most part, yeah, it's people are just kind of walking around everywhere down there in Roswell. Hopefully, I've never been there, but I've known a few people that have gone out there and I've seen tons of pictures and videos. It's the, the event. If you're into UFOs, obviously Roswell is the place to be even in the off season. I don't know about going down there in July though. Holy cow. It's gotta be hot. And while the Roswell incident makes many people think that we've captured life from outer space, uh, handcuffed it, shot it, uh, Put it in Hangar 18 in Dayton, Ohio. Whatever you believe happened with the Roswell incident. Um, I've got my my thoughts, but it's not the popular opinions. Um, did we find life from outer space? Uh, who knows? Some people think so. Some people don't think so. But the search for life outside of Earth is ongoing it's continued and it's happening within our own solar system of course we really haven't ventured or sent too many things out there except for voyager uh, one and two we have left the solar system uh, everything else is in house pretty much we're looking around we're poking at different things and of course everyone always points at mars the reddish orangish planet uh, it's been out pretty uh pretty bright out uh, the last few weeks, uh, it's getting brighter. It's gonna, um, it's gonna be pretty bright in December. It's gonna be the closest it's been in a while. We just went through that with uh, uh, Jupiter. Jupiter was in opposition a, a couple of weeks ago, so it was super, super bright. Even if you looked at it with binoculars, binoculars, you could see the moons of Jupiter. Um, not so much with Saturn. I don't think I've ever seen a moon of Saturn with uh, my telescope. Uh, love looking at Saturn. Uh, Jupiter's awesome too with the trying to find the great red spot. There's uh, apps that'll tell you when it's coming into view. And it depends on what kind of telescope, if it's coming in the top or the bottom or the left or the right. You got to know what kind of scope you got. Uh, but man, looking at those moons surrounding Jupiter, it's just beautiful to see those moons. Uh, but again, Saturday, you don't really see them. But that's where some of the focus is on the search 
for life in outer space. Uh, Saturn's sixth largest moon, uh, Encel, I can never say this, Enceladus. Enceladus. It's an ice-covered rock, and uh, it's been in, in uh, let's see, National Geographic. It's been, I think it was on Cosmos, too, that they were talking about this, uh, Enceladus. Uh, it actually erupts into space, and it shoots ice out into space uh, like a volcano on numerous occasions. And it's been long thought of a potential location that life might have formed at one time or even possibly in the future. And now we're tied up at one. Uh, I've got to stop watching that. Uh -huh. So scientists have been studying this moon since the 1980s and have uh, detected carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, nitrogen, and sulfur, which are all pretty much building blocks for life. Uh, but what's missing is evidence of phosphorus. Now, phosphates are vital for life in the creation of DNA, uh, also in cell membranes, and eventually... If an animal gets uh, developed enough bones in animals. Uh, but this latest discovery uh, was discovered by a team led by Hao Jihua, a researcher at the University of Science and Technology of China. And their discovery is uh, not direct observation, but it's uh, in the form of a model created from data collected uh, from uh, a number of projects that suggest that phosphorus might be dissolved in the liquid oceans that exist under the, well, they think exists. Let's not get carried away. We haven't seen them yet. Uh, under the ice surface of Enceladus. And again, we're not sure if it's there's actually liquid water. They're guessing based on what we've seen, the eruptions, uh, the Water is highly alkal alkaline, and the oxygen uh, is non-existent. So it's oxygen-free, and the uh, rocks that make up the core of the moon are thought to have probably dissolved this phosphorus into the oceans, which uh, would create a favorable mixture for potential life. If you add the phosphorus and all these other things that have been uh, seen, obviously, were carbon-based life forms. Uh, but also hydrogen, oxygen, nitrogen, sulfur, all those things uh, are completely vital for life. And having, you know, if there is proof of phosphorus, then that is the place that we want to go. We want to look at that. And I don't know, I've always thought, you know, how do you prove that you found life on uh, something like that? If you send a probe out there and you, and you dig up something and you bring it back and, hey, there's life. What if we planted that? by accident or what if just being there created the, I don't know. Uh, I think there's a, a lot of questions here. Uh, the uh, phosphorus, however, has yet to be observed directly, but it seems that conditions are ripe for it to be dissolved in the liquid oceans, uh, similar to what created life here on earth. Granted, uh, sunlight played a major factor here and, uh, if it's buried under ice, uh, there's probably not a whole lot of sun uh, peeking up or peeking through that water. And it's uh, Saturn is, uh, you know, one of those gas giants. So it's it's pretty much 
uh, out of what they call the Goldilocks zone. So it's pretty far away. Uh, that moon, obviously a little closer to the sun than Saturn, but not by much. Uh, probably, uh, probably not. I, I don't see it. Uh, maybe life in some form, hopefully. Very simplistic life forms may have existed at one time, but probably short-lived, if at all. Uh, but the debate goes on. And should we go there? Should we send some probes up there uh, to dig through that ice to uh, get some samples of that water? Well, why not? That's really the only way you're going to uh, solidify the hypothesis. And uh, that work uh, was published back in September of this year uh, in uh, well, at least one scientific journal. So we'll see if there's any others that follow up on that work to uh, either confirm uh, or deny the uh, information gathered. And um, that's kind of how science works. And hopefully we'll, again, send some probes to Saturn in the future to dig up uh, some of that ice and, you know, looking at, uh, they're also looking at uh, some of the moons around Jupiter and uh, Neptune. It's a pretty big candidate as well for potential life. Pretty hard to go into Neptune. Uh, we couldn't go there. We'd have to send our, our robots. You know, why risk human life? Why risk it? And uh, speaking of risking human life, got some entertainment news. Well, that's a weird segue. Uh, some entertainment news this week, and it's the season, right? Uh, we're uh, 20 days away from Halloween, less than three weeks from the big day. Uh, I'm excited about it. It's, uh, it seems like uh, a lot of haunted houses around. People are really excited about it. And of course, there's a lot of movies and TV shows uh, about, well, anything dealing with scary things from ghosts to, um, I don't know, werewolves and demons and all sorts of anything that's scary that we don't really understand or know. And of course, uh, we're living in an age where it's just uh, overwhelming with the amount of uh, television shows and places to watch things with all these streaming services everywhere. I've probably got like 20 on my phone. It's ridiculous. Um, paying for like 10 of them, which is even more ridiculous. No, not 10 of them, like four of them. Uh, and of course, there's all these TV shows on regular cable. Who watches cable anymore? It's so 1990s. Um, there's so much going on. It's really hard to connect with uh, anybody else that's watching something. Unless it's a, a big one. This is a big show uh, that everybody's watching because it's like number one. And, you know, I found out it used to be, you know, back in the day when I was in high school, you'd talk to people about on Monday. You'd say, hey, man, did you see Saturday Night Live? Of course you did. What else would you watch? Uh, maybe Saturday Night's main event. The WWF back then before it was WWE wrestling stuff. Anybody watch that now? OK. Um, and of course, during the week, you had different shows that were on that uh, were pretty popular. And of course, back then, you didn't have a whole lot of selections. It wasn't a whole lot of stuff to watch. And, you know, now everything's streaming pretty much. Disney, 
Hulu, Netflix, uh, all the major networks have their own streaming services now. So people aren't really watching live TV. They're waiting for when they get a chance to watch something, which is mine usually before I go to bed or if I wake up in the middle of the night, I'm like, eh, I'll watch another episode of Quantum Leap. It's an interesting show, like kind of like what they did with it. Um, but it's pretty rare. You don't see shows really affecting the culture anymore as much as uh, they used to, unless you're talking about uh, like shows like The Mandalorian with the child. My goodness, they're still making toys of the child. Uh, and of course, uh, everyone was so excited when Stranger Things made its debut a number of years ago. Granted, all those kids are all grown up now. They, got, they all got like kids of their own and houses and cars. Lawns to mow. Well, not exactly, but you know what I mean. It's been out for a while. Of course, sometimes, uh, especially in the in the case of Stranger Things, got a little nostalgia. And sometimes, uh, this nostalgia brings a whole new era of fans to an existing creation, whether it's a continuation uh, or a reboot. Like shows like Cobra Kai, which is uh, really awesome. Even if you're not a Karate Kid fan, just give it a chance. It's a really good show. Uh, a Quantum Leap, which I just mentioned, they, they kind of uh, continued the story. Talking about Sam being lost out there in the Quantum Leap land. Sadly, Al, the, uh, the actor who played Al, passed away last year. Uh, but they had a nice nod to him in the uh, second episode. Anybody watching that? It's a good show. It's only three episodes in, but it's good. They just, they, uh, you're going to have uh, more episodes. They're going to have a full season. Exciting. No. I'm going to watch La Brea. Come on. Yeah, I'm going to get into that too. But, uh, well, anyway, we're also living in a time where people, of course, you know, we've talked about it here. You You see it on social media. Uh, you see it on TV, you see it on the news, you see it everywhere. Guess people are overly critical of anything and everything that is said or done. And political correctness has uh, smashed the moral compass, losing many of us to uh, really know if what we like is actually good or bad. Am I allowed to like this? Am I not allowed to like this? Am I evil because I laugh at the, the new Beavis and Butthead movie? Am I allowed to say that I liked it? Am I allowed to say that I watched it? I'm probably going to get fired from the show now. Uh, personally, the 1993 movie, you've uh, seen this one, called Hocus Pocus, starring Bette Midler, Kathy Najimy, and uh, Sarah Jessica Parker. Can't forget her. Wasn't a fan of any of those girls, especially Bette Midler. Ugh. Not a big fan at all. Sarah Jessica Parker, eh, I never really liked her. Not a fan. So I didn't watch that movie. I mean, 93, that 1993, let me take you back. I remember it very vividly. Very big year in movies. Uh, 93, I was on, I think, my second time reading the book Jurassic Park. And I uh, went to that debut it was the first time I ever went to a, well, shouldn't say the first time. There was a few Star Trek movies I went to on opening night. The original Star Trek movies. 
the old school ones, like the search for Spock, the Wrath of Khan. Uh, but uh, Jurassic Park, yeah, I sat there, watched it opening night. I think I watched it the next weekend, at least twice. I probably went three times. I went with, well, a few different people. Don't want to name names. Uh, there was a movie called Dave with David Klein and Sigourney Weaver. I remember going to see uh, Nowhere to Run when Jean-Claude Van Damme was uh, was the man. Children of the Corn 2, I remember watching that one. Uh, Loaded Weapon 1, remember that one? Hot Shots Part 2, Robin Hood Men in Tights, all those kind of parody-type movies were very popular back then. Uh, Groundhog Day, Bill Murray. Groundhog Day with Bill Murray. See, I got you. You might get that joke. If not, watch the movie. You'll get it. Anyway, uh, Cliffhanger and Demolition Man both came out that year, both with Sylvester Stallone. The Last Action Hero and its tie-ins with uh, Burger King, which is where I was working at the time, uh, with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Remember The Fugitive? Love that movie. Uh, Days to Confused. I mean, who hasn't seen that 20 times? All right, all right, all right. Wayne's World 2. Not as good as the first. Better soundtrack, though. Uh, and Tombstone. I remember seeing all those movies. Maybe not that year, but pretty close. And a lot more that came out that year. Big year in movies, but of course... Well, you also had The Sandlot. Forgot about that one. Came out in April... 1993, Hocus Pocus, of course, came out in the fall, around uh, somewhere, I think it was uh, October, middle of October. It's almost um, I think the 15th or 16th or something like that, whatever the Friday was. Uh, Sandlot and Hocus Pocus, believe it or not, those are, I mean, you'll find those movies in the $5 bin at Walmart. But at least you'll still find those movies in the $5 bin at Walmart, even though they're Dare I say old, even though that was me and my prime back in 93. Um, they've held the test of time, although both of those movies did not do very well in the theaters, but they both went on to become cult classics. Yes, that's the, the mantle you get when your movie uh, is more beloved as a VHS or DVD copy long after its uh, release failed and the director was fired. And the movie company went bankrupt. If your movie's still popular. It's a cult classic. I've got a lot of those uh, favorite movies. Like Highlander was a cult classic. 1986. Where I'm really dating myself now. Uh, but of course. The Sandlot and Hocus Pocus. Had their tie-ins with particular seasons. The Sandlot obviously was summer and baseball. And Hocus Pocus. Came around every single year. It's kind of like uh, Christmas and the Wizard of Oz. And um, it's that movie with the kid that shoots his eye out? Christmas Story. I should know that. It's filmed uh, pretty close to here, part of it. Uh, the Houses, anyway. Uh, but Hocus Pocus, again, yeah, not a big fan. It came out around Halloween. Of course, every Halloween, it makes its way onto TV. And, of course, now Disney has their own channel subscription service. Uh, so, of course, it's... Um, blasted on there and of course they got the great idea to bring that back despite the 39 percent approval rating 
on Rotten Tomatoes and a 43 out of 100 on Metacritic. Yikes. But they uh, decided to resurrect this movie for a sequel. And despite a little better approval rating this time around with 61% on Rotten Tomatoes and 55 out of 100 on Metacritic, apparently not everybody is happy with this new sequel. And uh, some people who just didn't like it but then you may wonder where this is uh, this is going. Well, there's somebody that really doesn't want you to watch this movie, uh, and it's not anybody, not a uh, a professional rating person on Rotten Tomatoes. No, it's Texas mother Jamie Gooch, who began criticizing the movie on social media, which eventually led to an appearance on the local CBS affiliate KWTX for an interview that went absolutely viral. In her Facebook post, she said that uh, she would be, quote, wrong not to sound the alarm and warn you to protect your children. After all, the whole movie is based on harvesting the purity of a children's soul so that witches may live on, unquote. Um, And beyond defining the term what hocus pocus actually means, she added, quote, please hear me. When I tell you the truth that the witches and warlocks in the satanic church abuse and sacrifice children in their spiritual rituals to gain more power in the underworld. So before you hit play on the night of the premiere of this movie, please ask yourself if not only for your mind, but your children's minds are strong enough to ward off the hypnotization and uh, bewitching trance that will be coming through the screen to aid in the desensitization of the coming evil in this world. Don't fall victim to these schemes of hell. My goodness. Um, I don't think that's how TV works. Uh, Now, I thought, personally, I thought I was mad at Disney uh, for meddling with the Marvel movies, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and Star Wars. You guys ruined it. But my goodness, I, I did, I've never gone on this kind of a rant. Uh, this mom has a whole different level of anger and fear and misunderstanding. On her KWTX interview, she stated, uh, quote, a worst case scenario is you unleash hell on your kids and in your home. The whole movie is based on witches harvesting children for blood sacrifices. Uh, do not watch this film. Everybody thinks it's fake and innocent. But they could be casting any type of spell that they want to. Anything could be coming through that TV screen into your home. Unquote. Uh, Gooch also stated that her family has not participated in Halloween in about four or five years out of the thought of exposing her children to darkness. I'll just turn a porch light on. It'll be okay. Uh, I don't think she quite gets it. It's a movie. It's a movie. Um, yeah, I'm not diddling it. Yes, there is uh, some interesting themes in the movie. And, uh, of course, if you go back to the, the 90s, I mean, dinosaurs were ripping people in half. Um, people were doing all sorts of stuff in movies. It was a different genre. Uh, to continue a movie nowadays, of course, people don't get it. They don't understand it. They fear it. And, uh, you know, if you feel that way, don't watch it. But it's spreading this kind of stuff to other people via social media and uh, shame on the media for 
uh, kind of taking this lady to town and really embarrassing her. Uh, but she seemed very adamant. She seemed very uh, put together. And her thoughts and feelings were pretty well placed. Uh, but wow. Wow, wow. And uh, don't for- on that note, don't forget about Hellraiser. Now in theaters. That's uh, also about sacrifice. Well, uh, of course, and drugs and sex as well. But it's the time of the year. That's that's what we uh, that's what we want to watch. We want to watch things that uh, scare us, thrill us, because we all know it's not real, or is it? On that thought, I will see you next week. But for now, keep your eyes in the skies, the ears in the woods, the hair standing on the back of your neck, and always check under your bed before you go to bed tonight. And look at that closet. There might be something in there. Above all else, don't stop believing. For the Paranormal News Insider, this is Dr. Brian D. Parsons reporting.